All right, good evening. Good song, ladies. Aren't you glad that His love is an endless love and boundless love? I'm glad that things with God are, are eternal, uh, are secure, right? We can't rely upon anything like that in our world. Uh, and so I thank God for that. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 tonight. Hebrews chapter 10. And the book of uh, Hebrews has become one of my favorite books of the Bible. And one of the things I like about Hebrews the most is how clearly exalted Jesus Christ is in the book of Hebrews. Of course, any, any part of the Word of God that you're going to read exalts Jesus Christ, but it's so very, made so very clear uh, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, one of the things the book of Hebrews does is it helps us to reconcile uh, the Old and the New Testaments. And, and we can see clearly through the book of Hebrews uh, that the Old Testament wasn't God's plan A and the New Testament wasn't God's plan B. Uh, that from before the foundation of the world, uh, God already had a plan to redeem mankind, and that plan was through Jesus Christ. And uh, so the book of Hebrews is a great book because it helps us to kind of bridge the gap between the two and to see really uh, the things in the Old Testament that were really should have uh, been pointing uh, to Jesus Christ and that picture of Jesus Christ. And go line by line through uh, the book of Hebrews, and it shows how Jesus was so much better than everything else. Uh, starting with the angels, like how in the Old Testament, the Word of God was given to uh, the prophets through dreams and visions uh, by angels, uh, but that Jesus is so much better than the angels. That at no time did uh, God call any angel His Son, His only begotten Son. Right? He goes through uh, how he, he was so much better than uh, godly men, the patriarchs that the Hebrews, the, the title of this book is written to, would, would look to Abraham, to Moses, to David. Uh, uh, those are all good uh, men of God, but uh, Jesus was so much better. Uh, and then the ordinances in the law uh, that again were not in, in place of Jesus Christ, they were actually to picture Jesus Christ. And as we'd read in this uh, chapter, chapter 10, uh, they were a shadow of good things to come. They were foreshadowing Jesus Christ. And so this book goes through all those different Old Testament ordinances and how Jesus is so much better than all of them. Right? He's so much better than the, the circumcision. He's so much uh, better uh, than the priesthood. He's so much better he, than the Sabbath days. He is our Sabbath. He is our rest from our works. And here in chapter 10, uh, the focus is on the sacrifices. The sacrifices that were offered uh, in the Old Testament law and how Jesus offered the ultimate sacrifice. That His one and only sacrifice that was needed for sin was the ultimate sacrifice far better than those sacrifices that they offered in the Old Testament that were a picture of Him. But we're going to start tonight in a section of this Scripture that is often uh, ripped out of context and used to teach false doctrine, a false doctrine that you can lose your salvation. And if you were to just take this section of Scripture alone by itself and not knowing the context of the book of Hebrews and not even having the context of the chapter, you might scratch your head and think, wow, yeah, it looks like we can lose our salvation. And that's how uh, you know, a lot of false doctrine is taught, is, is a verse here, a verse there, ripped out of context and twisted. And so we're going to start here in verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Now we'll, hope, we'll 
pretty much going to walk through the whole uh, chapter 10, hopefully, we, if we have enough time. And then uh, we're going to make an application for us at the end. So hopefully we can get through all of it. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's, that's the section that they would take out and say, see? What, see what happens? They say you can get saved, and, and at that point that you get saved, you have a clean slate. God has forgiven you of all your sin up until that point. But after that, after you've been illuminated, if you sin willfully, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. You're, do you're doomed. Right? You're going to get a fiery indignation. You're going to get God's judgment, His wrath. He's going to judge His people. Uh, you can lose your salvation. And, and false teachers will use this to scare the death out of the people of God, uh, maybe to try to get them to come to church more or, or to live more holy. But that is not what this Scripture at all is teaching because they didn't give us the context of the Scripture. Remember, this whole... A book is exalting Jesus and how he's so much better than everything else. And this chapter is about Jesus' sacrifice. It's not really even about our sin. Right? They make the focus us sinning willfully as that's the focus of this chapter. The focus of the chapter is actually not our sin. It's, it's Jesus' sacrifice for our sin. And so I want to first walk through this chapter in context so that we can see when we get to this section that it's clearly not talking about us losing our salvation. First, if we start all the way back at the beginning of chapter 10, the first thing we're going to see is God clearly lays out through these first nine verses that the animal sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament, they were not sufficient to take away sin. He clearly shows that those animal sacrifices that they were offered were never for salvation. They never took away sin. And he lays it out very clear. Let's read. Verse 1 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Now, I want you to look at these very decisive words. He says, They can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Nobody was ever made perfect by those sacrifices. Verse 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged would have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembering again made of sins every year. For it is not possible. There's another very definitive statement. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. No blood of an animal is going to take away the sins of a living soul of a human being. Right? It's not possible. Verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, 
sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. He, ne he didn't even get any pleasure in those offerings that they offered for sin. What did he get pleasure in, in? Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast thou pleasure therein. Look, he's saying, this is what's above that. Here's the focus, right? Above, when he said he didn't take pleasure, even greater than him not taking pleasure in these is him taking pleasure in Jesus Christ. Look what he says. Uh, Which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. And see, now we're seeing a change in over. See, we see at the beginning of the chapter, he's focusing clearly on those animal sacrifices can't take away sin. Never could take away sin. I got no pleasure in them. He taketh away the first. Now he's transitioning over into what can take away sin? To establish the second. Who's the second? Jesus Christ of the new covenant and the blood of Jesus. And now we're going to see in these next block of verses that we're going to read, 10 through 18, the focus is on Jesus being our ultimate sacrifice for sin. So now he's moving from showing that the uh, animal sacrifices were not sufficient to now showing Jesus is sufficient. Jesus did offer the ultimate sacrifice. Verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I love that statement. I love this verse. Once for all. And you know, uh, this is a good verse that in chapter, that Hebrews 9 and 10 must not be in the Catholic Bible. Uh, because if you know anything about Catholicism, when they take their communion, uh, they call it a sacrament because they believe when they put it in their mouth, it literally turns into the body of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus. And that every time that that is taken, he's being offered again. That's why when they have their crosses, he's still on the cross. Uh, but no, it very clearly says once for all. One time did he offer this sacrifice for all of sin. Uh, in verse 11, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's another mountaintop of a verse. Forever. By one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's our security right there. You know, we talk about our endless love that those ladies sang, sang about. Well, with that one offering, those that are sanctified, those that receive Jesus are forever sanctified, forever cleansed of sin. Let's continue. Verse 15, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness unto us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds while I write them and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Praise God. Aren't you glad for that? That our sins and our iniquities are not remembered any longer uh, by Jesus Christ. Uh, our sins and our iniquities are remembered no more. Verse 18. Now this is a good verse to pay attention to when we go back to our text verses. Now where remissions of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Right? You don't need it. 
Uh, when Jesus paid it once for all, that's all your sin. That's all the sin of the whole world and anybody that would receive Him as their Savior. Uh, what's going to be so sad is that there's going to be a lot of people at the great white throne judgment who are going to be cast in the lake of fire who had the payment of their sin made. And they left it on the table. They left it on the table. All their sin was paid for by Jesus Christ in that one offering that He made and they left that gift on the table and said, I don't want it. Right? He did it once for all. That mean, that, because God's eternal, that doesn't mean all your sins up until you get saved. God knows what happens before the foundation of the world because He's eternal. That means all your sin. That means your past sin. That means your present sin. And that means your future sin. Once for all. All of it. And you see what kind of confidence that this could give us in our salvation. And actually, that's what the next portion of the Scripture goes into. Now, in light of that, well, we can have full assurance of our faith. Uh, we can have full confidence in our salvation. We can boldly go up to somebody at the door when we're knocking and ask them, hey, are you sure sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? No, I don't know. Well, we can say, yeah, do you? Yes, I do. I do know for sure because my Savior Jesus, He offered the ultimate sacrifice for my sin one time for all of it. I do know that I can go to heaven. And that's what the next verses say. It gives us assurance. Um, verse 19, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. We have no more conscience of those sins. We don't have to feel like those sins are going to take us to hell anymore. No guilty. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, which walk not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. We have no evil conscience. And our bodies washed with a pure water. Verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For He is faithful, that promise. It doesn't say we are faithful. That's why it says in one of the other Scriptures, if we... Believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. You're born again. You're born of the Spirit of God. God cannot deny himself. He is faithful. He will keep his promise. Even if you don't stay faithful, he will keep his promise. And in light of that, then, then we ought to get together and praise God for that. Uh, we ought to encourage one another. Uh, we ought to come together so that we can go out in the world and do good works. And that's what really church is for. You know, churches to come here to encourage one another, uh, to provoke each other, to go out into a world that's lost, to go out into a world that's evil, and to do good, and to love. Uh, we come here to get recharged, to fill up. If you thought you were coming here tonight to serve God, uh, yes, you can in encouraging and provoking one another, but if you think you're serving God sitting there right now, that you're just getting filled up. Or you're like, no, I'm, I'm serving God listening to you, man. This is a burden. Right? I'm carrying this burden right now. But no, this is to, so we're, we should be provoking each other. I'm trying to provoke you right now. And that's what these next verses said. It says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Because we have a sure and steadfast hope and assurance in our salvation then, then we can come together and we can encourage one another. And we can say, hey, continue. Don't doubt your faith. Don't doubt Jesus. 
you have a, a, a sure thing here in the Lord Jesus Christ. All your sins have been forgiven. Now we get to the text verses. So we see the focus is on Jesus' ultimate sacrifice for our sin. So what does he say here in verse 26? For, because, if, it's, it's continuation of the thought. If we sin willfully, after that we've received knowledge of the truth. And, and let me ask you this. What sin do we commit, especially after we've received knowledge of the truth that's not willful? Did God give us free will or not? He did. He gave us a choice to whether we want to believe in Him or not. Right? All sin is willful. And I think he's pointing out, he uses that terminology to show, look, if after you've gotten saved, if after you've got uh, forgiven of your sin and you have the Spirit of God living in you and now you actually have a choice, you can fight against that sin. You actually now have the weapons uh, of the Spirit of God to fight against your sin. But if you choose not to and you choose to willfully sin again, after you've been saved, after you receive the knowledge of truth, guess what? There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Remember who he's talking to. This is written to the Hebrews, right? The Hebrews who offered those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. Uh, the Hebrews, as, after they got saved, who, if you look through the New Testament, had issues with reconciling those sacrifices they offered in some of those Old Testament ordinances with their New Testament salvation. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, it talks about men who, who came into the church and who were trying to tell others that they needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. And they had to take this question to the apostles, which I believe uh, is the focus of the whole book of Galatians, where the apostle Paul is, is, is even getting on to Galatian believers who, after they have gotten saved by the grace of God, they're being corrupted by some of these same people who are trying to tell them that they had to go back and do sacrifices and go back and do these ordinances or they weren't saved. And, and he says very clearly, look, if an angel from heaven comes to you, or if I come to you and preach any other gospel than that you've received, let him be accursed. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about, look, now that you've been saved, if you sin willfully after you've been saved, there's no more sacrifice that needs to be offered. Jesus already offered the sacrifice for your sin. You don't need to go and offer an animal. Look, he says in verse 26, for if, or I'm sorry, 27, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Now, uh, when you got saved, uh, did we become adversaries? Uh, we don't become adversaries. We become the sons of God. We're not an adversary to Jesus Christ. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us. So even if our flesh is, is doing contrary to God, that's really not us. Uh, we've been born again. Uh, the, we're born of God. We're not adversaries. He's talking about uh, those who are, are not saved, who were enlightened to the knowledge of the truth that Jesus is the Savior, but then said, no, you have to add this. It's not just faith in Jesus that saves you. Uh, you have to do the sacrifices. You have to keep the Old Testament law. You have to do good works. It's not just faith that saves you. You have to do all these other things also. And he's saying, look, a person like that who thinks it's Jesus plus works, well, guess what you're going to get? You're just going to get judgment. Fiery indignation that's going to devour you because you're preaching another gospel. Because you're uh, saying that Jesus' one sacrifice for all was not enough. And that's what he says in these next verses. And there's some very powerful uh, rebuke here in verse 29. Look, he says in verse 28, And he that despises 
Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath then despite under the Spirit of grace. Someone that says you've got to add to Jesus' sacrifice to be saved has trampled underfoot the Son of God. You said, Jesus, you're the Son of God. God manifested in flesh. Uh, you came and became what you created and suffered the way that you did uh, for sinful men that you created, but that wasn't enough. You just walked over Jesus Christ. You have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith you were sanctified. He's saying, look, somebody that claims to be a, a believer in Jesus sanctified by the blood of Jesus, but that wasn't enough. You're saying that blood that you were sanctified by was not holy. It was an unholy thing. Because if that blood was holy, it cleansed you of all your sin. You're saying, well, no, you've got to have works. No. Well, then guess what? You're counting Jesus' blood unholy. And hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. You despite the Spirit of grace. You despise it. I looked up that word despite, and it, it, you know, we might just think in our modern vernacular it means in spite of. It doesn't sound really all that bad. But when you look at the word despite, it means to hurt or to cause violence, extreme malice, violent hatred, defiance with contempt. Uh, that's a pretty powerful word. You've done despite unto the spirit of grace. Uh, you've done violence to the spirit of grace. You know, uh, and this is important because you're going to encounter some people that they may be brethren or not. It depends on what they believe when they got saved. But uh, there's a lot of people out there that claim to be Christians, that claim to believe in Jesus Christ, but will claim that his, Jesus isn't enough to save them. And you know what? You need to have the love and boldness. I mean, you're not going to preach to them like I'm preaching to you now, but to tell them you're trodden underfoot the Son of God. You're doing despite under the Spirit of grace. You're saying Jesus wasn't enough. That's what this scripture is teaching. It's not teaching you can lose your salvation. It's talking about those who, who claim to Jesus, but that he's not enough. That his sacrifice was not enough, that you have to go back to those Old Testament sacrifices. And, and somebody that does that and truly believes that is not saved. You're going to receive fiery indignation. Uh, Jesus' one sacrifice enough was once for all. And so you say, you know what? We believe that here. Right? We believe once saved, always saved. We believe that it's God's grace through faith in Jesus and Him alone. Praise God. I wouldn't be here if we didn't. You know, I, so what do we need this for? What's the application for us? You know, that's the primary application of this scripture is that, look, Jesus Christ, one sacrifice for sin, uh, it covers it all. It's once for all. It is uh, greater than those Old Testament sacrifices, the ultimate. But there's a a secondary application I want to make for us that, that are saved here. And looking at this, and, and, and a phrase that I find in verse 29, to finish out our, our last 10 minutes here. That verse reads again, it says, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified in an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Again, we talked about someone who would offer a sacrifice in light of Jesus' sacrifices doing despite unto the Spirit of grace. But 
how do we sometimes as Christians in trying to live our lives for Jesus Christ and trying to do the work of God, do we do despite unto the Spirit of grace? Because, you know, uh, it's God's grace by which we're saved, but it's also by that Spirit of grace that we live as ambassadors in this world for Jesus Christ. It is also by that Spirit of grace that we, we can truly do good works uh, for Jesus Christ. We can't do it without the Spirit of grace. So how, how can we as Christians do despite unto the Spirit of grace? Well, how about in light of this Scripture and what some who, who don't believe in eternity's, eternal security would claim that we do, we would look at a Scripture like this and say, well, if Jesus paid all my sin one time, why don't I just go ahead and sin? Uh, you know, why? it's once for all, it's all of it, and I believe that Jesus is the Savior, so why don't I just go ahead and, and enjoy time now? I'm still going to go to heaven. And in a lot of ways, sometimes, if we're being honest, we probably do that. There's probably sin in our life, the willful sin that we know is sin, you come to a church like this, you read the King James Bible, uh, you have the Spirit of God within you, you're not ignorant to what sin is, and you're not ignorant to the sin in your life. But because we know, hey, you know what, I'm saved, once for all. You know, I know that sin, I know what the Word of God says, but I'm just not going to change it. I'm not going to get it out. You're going to do despite unto the Spirit of grace. Uh, you're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, as it says in the book of Jude. Uh, turning the grace of God into a license to sin. Uh, that's how we as Christians can do the spite unto the spirit of grace. Uh, by taking advantage of that spirit of grace and just deciding that we're just going to go ahead and sin as we want and not let it bother us anymore. You know, that besetting sin that you know is there, that you know you get, need to get rid of, that you know is waiting down, you decide, I'm not going to fight that anymore. I'm going to do despite unto the spirit of grace. And you know, I really don't know, the, the Bible here talks about those that do that in light of salvation, receiving judgment and fiery indignation to the adversaries. Look, we're not adversaries. We're not going to receive fiery indignation, but we are sons of God. And the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You may not uh, receive fiery indignation, uh, but you may be chastened of God. And if you're not, the Bible says you're a bastard, not a son. It says in that, this very book. Uh, you may bring the chastening of God in your life. But you know, I get to think about it in light of this scripture. Why do we need the negative always to do what's right? Because there's, there's really no negative in, in, in this scripture for the Christian. Uh, why do we need the negative to do right? Why is it not enough uh, to read that Jesus Christ offered once for all? Uh, how could you in light of reading some of these mountain peaks of scriptures like verse 14 where it says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Uh, why can't we just read, Let us draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Man, when you read that and you read the grace and love of God uh, through Jesus Christ, why would you want to do that? Amen. Maybe it's because you're not reading it. Maybe it's because you're not focusing on that. You're focusing on so many other things and you forget about that once and for all sacrifice. You know, uh, there should come a point in our lives as Christians that we don't need the chastisement or the fear of God. That's the beginning of knowledge. 
But we should grow to a point, like Brother Joe said, where we should do what we do more than just out of fear of God, for, for the love of God. Uh, that's what the scriptures should do for us as Christians. We should look at that and just marvel at Jesus and exalt him for what he's done and the, the assurance that we have and say, man, why? I don't want to do anything to, to hurt him. I don't want to do anything despite the spirit of grace that he's given to me. Right? We could do that by using the grace of God as a license to sin. What, what, are, what is another way that we could uh, do despite unto the spirit of grace. Well, how about uh, trying to do the work of God uh, in the flesh and not in the spirit of grace? Trying to do the things that we do for God without God. And, and you know, it's very easy, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, uh, to just get in a rut where, okay, Sunday morning church, Sunday evening church, Wednesday church, got visitation on Thursday. Maybe you don't even go to visitation, uh, you know, uh, we got this on the calendar, that on the calendar. Okay, check, check, check. And you're just going through the motions. Your body's in the right place at the right time, uh, but you're doing despite under the spirit of grace because you're not relying upon God's grace to do it. Uh, you're not seeking His face like you should. You're not praying like you should. I mean, I, I, I can tell you times when I've come here off of work or whatever, and you're distracted by other things. You haven't prayed when you come in. You don't care if you help anybody else when you come in. Uh, oh, let's get through the message. And so, you know, I just don't, I want to come to church because I don't want to sit at home and feel guilty, right? And so then uh, you go and you got something else that you're thinking about. Well, finally, church is over so I can get to that. Uh, and then when you get to that, well, oh, I feel good about myself because at least I went to church. At least I showed up. You're doing despite under the spirit of grace. You didn't see God in all of that. You were in the right place, but you, you, you were doing the wrong thing. You did despite under the spirit of grace. Look, we got revival coming up. And look, it doesn't matter if you're here Sunday through Wednesday, if you're just checking a box and getting here, if you actually didn't seek the face of God and the, the grace of God to actually give you revival. Uh, I think everybody here would agree that we want revival. We want revival in our home, we want it in our church. We want a great spiritual awakening, uh, but are you relying upon the grace of God to do it? Or you just think, oh, I'll show up and bless me, God. Just bless me. You think of Esau, right? He despised, did despite under the spirit of grace. Despised his birthright. He was the firstborn. He had the birthright. Got focused on the physical things, and, and he thought he was going to die because he was out in the hunting, and just despised his birthright and sold it off. And then when his, uh, his blessing from Jacob was taken by subtlety, he comes crying to his dad, bless me, bless me, don't you have a blessing for me? It says in his very book, even though he sought repentance with tears, he was rejected, right? He expected that he was just, oh, bless me, I'm the firstborn, right? Hey, we just think, oh, just, I can show up, bless me, God. We can't do that because it takes the spirit of God, it takes the spirit of grace in us, he wants us to rely upon it. It takes our faith. It doesn't just take our body being in the right place at the right time or just our own effort without Him. He does use our own effort. Uh, but with Him. We can't do anything without Him. Without seeking Him. You know, we get too focused on the physical and, and not the spiritual. You know, I love this building. I, I, I thank God that we have it. Um, and... You know, I'm glad we're here. But I hope we don't get a field of dreams mentality. 
And what do I mean by that? If you saw that 1990s film, The Field of Dreams, right, where Kevin Cosner has a cornfield and he gets a vision from old-time baseball players that if he builds this baseball field, then they're going to come, right? I hope we don't think, well, all oh, the work is done. Look at this great building. Uh, if we build it, they will come, right? Now it's going to fill up. And, and we, it, as pastors said over and over again, I didn't come to build buildings, Amen. right? And, and one day this building is going to be cast down, just like when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, hey, look at the temple. Look at the great precious stones that this building is made of. And he said, there's not going to be one stone on another that's not going to be thrown down. And that's true of this building too. There's not going to be one beam of this building that's not one day going to be thrown down. And I'm not at all uh, casting shade on the building project or, or pastor. Please don't think that. Because I'm not at all. I, li I, li I like that we're in this building. Amen. I'm just warning that we need to be careful that our focus isn't the physical. That it's not the building that's going to bring people into Bible Baptist Church. It's the spirit of the grace of God. Amen. And if we're not seeking it as a church and as individuals, uh, maybe people will come, but it, did God send them? You know, our worst enemy sometimes can be our own success. You know, if you measure uh, the spirituality or the success of a church by the size of the nice building, well, then Crossroads is, man, they're on fire. But we know that's not true. And sometimes we think because we have our ducks in a row that that's all we need. We just line those ducks in a row and it's going to happen. No, we got to be hungry. we got to stay as hungry as the folks were when they were over in the UAW hall. And, and hungry for God. I'll wind on this last story, and, and you know, I'm not saying it to uh, puff myself up. It's actually embarrassing. You know, a, a little over two uh, years ago, went out during COVID, uh, helping another church, and ended up trying to start another church in Norwood. And, you know, I got so busy, so wrapped up, and I did it without, you know, maybe counting the cost before I started. And I thought, we have the right Bible, we have the right music, we have sound doctrine, you know, we prayed for a building. God gave us a little building. I said, oh, it needed some work. So we, we painted up that building. We got new doors on that building. We got new uh, this and that and the other. And busy, I'm, I'm making sure I'm getting the messages prepared and doing all this. But the, the one thing I forgot was that I let my walk with God slip. I wasn't seeking his face like I should have, like I was before I did all that stuff. I was making sure all those other things are in a row. And I thought, hey, if we got all these other things in order, God's going to bless us. He has to bless us. And I forgot the most important thing. I did despite under the spirit of grace. It's without the grace of God, we're nothing. You know, I even, I quoted the verse. I preached the verse to the church. That the Lord's going to build his church. I said it out my mouth, but I'm still out there trying to build the church. I'm going sowing and I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But I just was not relying upon God and had the faith in God and didn't, see that in myself and started building before I counted the cost of whether I had sufficient enough to finish. And now I'm back here by the grace of God because this is a good place to be, to build yourself up. You know, and so don't get in that rut. Don't do despite under the spirit of grace. Brother Joe.